welcome to the BPL podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Laser, here with a very special guest today, Dr. Yvonne M. Garcia. Dr. Garcia specializes in 19th century U.S. literature, the hemisphere Gothic, and postcolonial and Latinx studies, with an emphasis on issues of nation, race, gender, sexuality, and ethnicity. Dr. Garcia teaches at Kenyon College, and one of the classes she teaches is Demons, Great Whites, and Aliens, Representing American Fear, which is the same subject she is discussing tonight here at, at the Bexley Public Library. So thank you, Dr. Garcia, for coming on the podcast. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted. I, I'm a resident of Bexley. Uh, I was here last year for pretty much every programming they had during the month of October that had to do with vampires and monsters. So I'm delighted that I'm part of the programming this year. Oh, yeah, yeah. We're, we're glad to have you. I think it's going to be a really interesting talk. Um, in this course, the demons, great whites, and aliens uh, representing American fear, uh, what are some of the, the works you analyze? Great, yes. So um, we begin with Edgar Allan Poe, and we look at um, four of his works. We look at The Black Cat, we look at Lygia, we look at The Fall of the House of Usher, and we look at a literary essay that he wrote called The Philosophy of Composition, in which he explains how he came up with the raven. We also do look at the raven, which was probably the most famous uh, poem of its time uh, when it came out. So we definitely start with Poe. He is credited with being the creator of the detective story. Uh, so before there was Sherlock Holmes, there was the detectives created by um, Poe. Um, and so it, it's a great place to start. OK. So it's primarily about Poe then, or do you move to other authors? No, and, uh, okay. we do 11 texts and 14 movies. Okay, wow. In a semester, yeah. So, um, and I'm going to go through them uh, in the presentation tonight, but basically after Poe, we do Henry James, uh, The Turn of the Screw, and then we do the adaptation, the film adaptation. So The Turn of the Screw is 1898, and uh, the film adaptation with Deborah Carr, is called The Innocence, and it's 1961. So it's really interesting, right? Like almost 60 years, well, more than 60 years later, mm -hmm. they yeah. decide Truman Capote is one of the screenplay writers that oh, wow. uh, adapts the turn of the screw to the screen with Deborah Carr. Uh, then we move uh, to 1959 to The Haunting of Hill House, which is um, um, Shirley Jackson. And actually, this year, I, I did an interim. I did Edith Wharton, her short stories. It was the first time that I did um, Edith Wharton's ghost stories. And Edith Wharton, famous for The House of Mirth, Ethan Fromm, and um, she uh, wrote these ghost stories um, that are not as well known as her novels. Uh, and so I decided that I wanted uh, a woman author who wrote ghost stories, and so I, I worked with um, Edith Wharton this semester. But then we moved to Shirley Jackson, The Haunting of Hill House, which, um, as I mentioned, is 1959. And then it gets adapted in 1963 into a film called The Haunting. Um, and so we do, the, we do the novel, and then we do the film. And then we move on this year for the first time um, well, then we moved to the 70s, and the 70s was an explosion of some of the best horror in uh, U.S. Gothic. So we had The Exorcist in 1971, and then the film in 1973, 
we had um, Carrie also around the same time, Stephen King's Carrie, which is first a novel and then uh, a very famous film uh, directed by Brian De Palma. And then uh, we have um, Jaws, which is my great white. Uh, and Jaws, again, uh, Peter Benchley writes the novel uh, in the, also in the 1970s, and about a couple of years, or the year later, uh, it becomes a blockbuster directed by Steven Spielberg as Jaws, and a very famous film um, with very famous, very famous scenes. So that sort of trilogy of, of films in the 70s is, is, real, is really a turning point for us, right, uh, in the class, from the 19th century, early 20th, to the 70s, um, and then we, for the first time, I wanted to do werewolves this year. I, I don't regularly do werewolves, so I am doing the 1981 version of An American Werewolf in London, which uh, I remember was a very fun film when I saw it for the first time. And so we are going to investigate um, the, the representation of werewolves in, in that film and uh, the representation of the horror of these two American guys who go backpacking in, in England and they are warned away from the moors but they don't listen to the warning and then they get attacked by a werewolf. Um, and then we move to the, um, to the 21st century and we go to our aliens which is the M. Night Shyamalan film Signs. Mm -hmm. And uh, we do this, the, that film. Uh, we do a couple of other films that I'm not gonna do in the presentation. We also do Black Swan which is also um, uh, a terrific film, um, but we, I'm not going to include that in the presentation tonight. And then, because you know, we'd be there for like two hours right, if right. I did everything. <laughs> um, and, and then we move. This year, I always try when I teach this class to include something new, something that is just like hot off the presses, so to speak, just mm -hmm. to um, push myself to, to do a new, a new text and also to push the class to kind of understand that we're not talking about something that is like 19th, 20th century. We're talking about something that is very today. Yeah. And so um, this year, for the first time, I also haven't done witches in the past. I'm doing The Witch, the 2016 film, The Witch. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm also doing the 2017 film, Get Out. And so we finish with Get Out. Okay. Wow. That's, yeah, that's quite the... Yes, it's a tour of the force. Yes, <laughs> in absolutely. horror. Yes. Yeah. Well, I think um, I'd, I'd like to touch on some of those, especially the newer works, sure. maybe a bit later in the talk. But I, I did want to ask, um, you know, on, on the macro level, throughout this course, do you are there some common threads with American-centric horror that you identify or common themes? Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, so we begin the class with... Um, theoretical structures, right? So with people who have theorized the Gothic and American horror, US horror, um, as ways for us to be alert to certain themes and to certain things that are gonna recur. And so um, we have, we look at theories that have proposed that the US Gothic is haunted by race and slavery. So we're really interested in how the representation of blackness and darkness so for instance, uh, one question that I asked my students, and we're gonna think about it tonight as well, is in the movie Signs, you have to stop the film to see it. Um, but the representation of the alien, which we never see unless you stop the film, because the, the film obviously goes so fast, mm -hmm. and the film isn't interested in showing us what the alien looks like, 
But if you stop the film at the moment where you actually have a kind of close-up of the, of the, of the alien, um, M. Night Shyamalan chose to represent the alien as human, as a kind of humanoid, which, again, right, we can ask ourselves, he could have, first of all, science tells us that if there are aliens, they're probably not going to look human right. um, at all. Right, that we as humans are very much a particular phenomenon of, of the way that, that this earth was, mm -hmm. uh, was, was you know, created. Uh, and so it's interesting that he chooses to represent a human. And if you stop the film to see what that human looks like, it looks like a primate-like uh, kind of Africanoid, you know, person. Mm -hmm. And so we want to ask ourselves, or I ask my students, by the time we get there, right, we've done all this work, yeah. uh, why would that be the choice, right? Why would that, if, if you're building a, a, a film and you want to scare people, why would you choose a, a, a sort of humanoid, primate-like uh, creature, right, that is supposed to call our attention to something that uh, we know that in, if we think about uh, the Gothic as being haunted by race and by slavery, then we know that darkness in representing the sort of Africanist, is what Toni Morrison is gonna call it, the Africanist presence, that, that that's fearsome in our culture. And so it's a way to sort of explain, to possibly explain that choice. I see, okay. And has there ever, I mean, has this ever been officially addressed by the director or is it just something you um, no I mean theorized or uh, th that's part of sort of the theorization of the course there okay. uh, I use in and in the presentation you'll see a lot of this work is done by scholars who like the the, the scholar that I use on this on signs does point out that the movie is predominantly white and the only two characters that are uh, racialized, which is the word that we use to, ident to, uh, to, to say that a particular character has been given raced characteristics, racial characteristics that we would understand, right? That we mm -hmm. would say, oh, right, yeah, that's a black person or that's a Latinx person or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. Or that's a white person. Um, so the two characters that are racialized as non-white are uh, the guy that uh, kills the wife of the reverend, played by Mel Gibson, who's played by M. Night Shyamalan, uh, who's an Indian-born but Pennsylvania-raised uh, American, mm -hmm. and, uh, but who's marked racially very clearly as non-white. And so he's sort of the bad guy of the film at the beginning because he's killed you know, the wife of the reverend that causes the crisis of faith. Mm -hmm. that the character played by Mel Gibson has, which is uh, going to be fixed by the aliens, right? Because I'm not going to tell you what happens, but at sure. the end, he rediscovers his faith, uh, thanks to, to what has happened with the aliens. And the alien, right? Which uh, you will see the picture. Uh, it's very disturbing because, you, you know, again, he could have chosen, right? It could have been a spider-like creature. It could have been... You know, those like the one, little aliens in Close Encounters uh, of the Third Kind, which are like little white little kids with big eyes, you know, mm -hmm. right, could be right. little yes. green men, right? Yeah. Um, no. And the, this figure is very, very raced in a movie that is predominantly white.
Wow. Yeah. yeah. It gives you something to think about. Yeah. Um, you, you mentioned you, as a newer addition to the course, you added Get Out and yes. The Witch. Is yes. that right? Okay. Yes. Yeah. Um, what I'm curious with The Witch in particular, what are some of the things you analyze on that one. Sure. So um, again, one of so race is one of the overarching uh, um, themes in mm -hmm. U.S. horror, right? So how does race function? How does blackness function as a symbol of fear, right? The raven is black, You're right? I tell my students he could have chosen a canary, right? Mm -hmm. And he didn't. He could have chosen a parrot, right? Because you need a bird. Well, canary won't do this, but a parrot will say never more. But you know they laugh, right? Because if it was called the parrot. It wouldn't be as scary as to think of the right, raven. Right. And, um, and the black cat the same way, right? If you're thinking about the tabby cat, it's not going to have the same psychological force of fear that a black cat has. Right, and right. one of the things that these theorists say is that instead of saying, assuming, oh, that's, that doesn't mean anything, right? These theorists are saying, no, blackness in our culture means something very clear. It's associated to slavery. It's associated to uh, this Africanist presence is what Morrison is going to say. So it's, it's used to create fear, right? So that's one really clear uh, theme. And then the other theme is gender, right? So a woman in power, a woman with power um, is, uh, as I'm going to say at the end of the talk, uh, the most fearsome monster in US horror, right? You give a woman power. And she is either going to kill everybody, she's going to self-destruct, uh, or she's going to destroy everything, or she's going to die, right? Actually, there's no other choice, right? Um, so we want to think about, so with the witch, right, we have this little girl who, uh, this, this, she's a teenager, and she's in this remote part of New England. And there's, uh, because of certain things that happen, there's a doubt, is she a witch? Is she not a witch? Um, and then at the end, uh, we find out the, the, that she is a right, witch. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and she joins a coven of witches um, and at the cost of her entire family. Like the, a baby has died, her parents have died, her brother and her sister have died. Uh, and then we end up, uh, it, the, the film was hailed as a feminist film because um, the idea is that this woman chooses freedom over her very puritanical sort of background and, and her very puritanical family. But other theorists and other scholars that I agree with um, posit that what's the triumph if you have to kill your entire family and then sign your blood into Satan's book, right, to, to be a witch What's the triumph? How is that a feminist triumph? Because you're going, in my, in my words, right, you're going, if you're, if you're um, oppressed by the Puritanism that is serving God or a God, mm -hmm. and then you sign in the book of Satan and you're going to serve Satan, you've gone from one oppressive system to the other. Oh, I see. There's no real agency. Well, what's real, well? There's the agency of choo of choosing, oh, yeah, that's true. which is what a lot of people said about the film that she chooses this freedom of like, you know, being naked and flying, and mm -hmm. uh, which is what happens at the end. But for me, right? Wow. Okay, you're you really go. You're still serving the devil, 
Right. It's not like you get that freedom to be, to be your yourself. The 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 agency isn't for yourself. The agency is the the illusion that you've chosen something different where you have chosen, if you were going to serve the father with a capital F in the first place and you didn't want to, then you're serving Satan with a capital S in the second. How is that? Right. And as you mentioned, choice, at what choice. cost? At what cost? Yeah, because she kills yeah. her whole, her whole, I mean, she kills, maybe not, but right, right. her whole family dies. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Yeah. I, I saw that one in theaters and um, that's, I didn't necessarily um, view it through that lens. So. Yeah. That's, I mean, I, yeah. I remember watching it and I was uh, very upset when it ended because I had read the reviews that said it was very feminist. And I was like, who's seeing, what's the feminism that we're seeing here, right? right. The, a woman who chooses again, one system of, of oppression over the other. Uh, what's, I mean, yeah. Okay, fine. She had a choice. But it's a choice between two, again, right? Something that we will talk about is the, the sort of idea of battling masculinities and how women's bodies become the geography on which these battling masculinities battle it out, right? So the I exorcist, see, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. In the exorcist, Reagan's body is the geography on which Marin and Pazuzu, the demon, meet again. So Pazuzu can kill Marin. And this is the same thing, right? So this, this girl's body is the geography on which God and Satan, in the worldview of this, not of this, of this film, mm -hmm. right, battle it out. And Satan wins, right? And yeah. so to yeah. me, it's like, mm -hmm. yeah, no, that, not, not yeah. really what, what I would have chosen, definitely. <laughs> right, right. Wow, yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, ha I have some films to, to watch again with yes. the new lens. So, yes. um, so I, I'm not sure if this, this might be a little bit out of um, you know, the scope of, of this course. Or I was just curious, as I, I've watched some horror films, I've read a bit of horror, but first and foremost, I think I'm a horror video game fan. Oh, yes. And I was just wondering if you, have you ever analyzed the way that horror is presented in, in video games or are you familiar with Oh, Any absolutely. So it's really interesting that uh, out of my class, so I taught the class in 2016, and one of my students uh, became, um, so Kenyan College supports students doing um, research that supports uh, the, a professor's, you know, um, scholarly pro project. Mm -hmm. And so a student of mine in 2016 for the 2017 summer was a summer scholar, so got a, an award uh, a monetary award that supported her um, research in zombies. And so because I, I do The Walking Dead um, mm -hmm. in my class, and so she was really interested in sort of the video games because she plays video games and the representation of the zombie in video games. And so her project, her scholarly project during that summer was taking the video, right? So it was uh, investigating the sort of literary genealogy of the zombie okay. and looking at it from the first novel in 1930 in US, in, in the US context, mm -hmm. in 1930s 
to how the zombie comes to then become filmic, right? So how is it represented in film? So that was part of her research. And then she finished the project with analyzing some of the video games that she was playing. And so um, her work is, was so impressive that I'm bringing her to my class this fall to do the, uh, uh, you know, part of the unit on the zombies. So oh, to present cool. her yeah. research, um, because obviously, I'm not an expert in zombies. I'm an expert more in sort of, right, the trends of horror. Mm -hmm. yeah. But she's more of an expert in the zombie than I am. And she, had, she connected it to video games, which I'm not a video, I don't play video games. Mm -hmm. um, so she took it to a, a different level. Okay, yeah, very cool. Yeah. yeah. Do you happen to do remember any of the titles that she studied in that? No, I don't remember off the top of my head, but okay. I can get you the, the information later. Okay, sure. yeah, I'd be really interested to, sure. to see that. And I wanted quickly to sort of mention Get Out, because right, we were talking about Get Out just a minute ago. Mm -hmm. and, um, and, and Get Out is an intersection of the themes of race and gender, right? Uh, where you have a very progressive film, right, that is rewriting the way that the fear, instead of being a fear of darkness, is a fear of whiteness. Because it's like the white family is sort of exploiting black bodies to um, make, to, to allow white people to live longer mm -hmm. in black bodies. So it's kind of zombie-like too, because yeah, yeah. they're taking these black bodies and uh, injecting or transplanting the the brains of white people into these bodies so that they become, um, uh, they're black bodies, but they're really still the, peop the people who would have da died, right? The white yeah. people who would have died. Mm -hmm. And the hero is a black uh, actor, right? Or a black character who, whose girlfriend is a white girl. And, um, and I'm going to show the ending, right? And I, I hope I'm not ruining it for everyone, but the monster in the film is a white woman. Right, she's mm -hmm. the monster. Yeah. So here again, right, you have a progressive film that is rewriting the way that we think about this darkness, right? Re making a different choice than M. Night Shyamalan makes, right? Totally different choice, but mm -hmm. still, the monster is the white woman. Yeah, yeah. And a woman with power, because she ends up with a rifle, and it's like, yeah. All right, yes, yeah. It was it certainly, um, whether or not it was on some sort of subconscious level or not sure not i mean it it certainly makes for a good thriller in terms of yeah. the twist because i've been conditioned to not yeah and that's i think the, that that's what's happening absolutely and that's yeah. the argument of the class and of the field that i study which is called cultural studies right and the field is uh, based on the premise that culture enacts itself on us consciously or unconsciously right mm -hmm. and so this idea that somehow we are going to be cured of, of or, or immune to the messages that culture is constantly sending our way about race, about gender, about sexuality, is, is in, in my field, is, is saying no, right? Mm -hmm. let's, let's think about culture as something so powerful that it, it can be present in us even when we don't even when we say, right, I'm sure that in that film, they're like, we want to do a progressive film. And then when you say, well, you're demonizing the woman, the white woman, it could have been the father, it could have been somebody else right. wielding that rifle. But why did it have to be the woman, right? Then mm -hmm. that's an interesting question. Yeah, absolutely. It is. It is. And one of the things sort of related to this when I was you know, thinking about um, 
just my personal relationship with with horror and the things that got me into it. Um, early on, I, you know, I got very into H.P. Lovecraft, which mm-hmm, is, I think, mm-hmm. a very normal thing. Sure. For, uh, yes. You know, um, and it's more recently looking back at some of those works and the things that have been influenced by him. Um, it's it's very disheartening because I, I've, you know, Absolutely. looking at it with a different lens, you see sure. very thinly veiled at best xenophobia and racism. Yeah. And so... I don't know. Do you do you speak about H.P. Lovecraft in no, the class at all? No, we don't do or? Lovecraft. Okay. But because uh, again, I mean, this I have students who come to me and they're like, "Why are we doing Lovecraft? Why aren't we doing Silence of the Lambs? Right? Why yeah. aren't we doing Halloween? Why aren't we doing slasher films?" And it's like, well, if I had a year, then maybe I could do yeah, it. But in yeah. a semester, I have to pick and choose. And I'm really looking for, I would say, texts that became cultural phenomenon in themselves, mm-hmm. right? So not just texts that represent American horror or US horror, but texts that in their time became cultural phenomena, right? Like The Raven and like yeah. Poe's writings that um, became more than just literature. Um, and in the same way, Jaws, right? Mm-hmm. And The Exorcist and Carrie. Uh, also, The Shining. I don't have time for The Shining. Talk about oh, wow, a haunted yeah. house, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, so, um, and an American Werewolf in London, the first one, right? They all have a place in uh, U.S. culture that marks, I think, something in the way that we look at horror. Think about the reach. You know, it's like I tell my students, you think about the Scarlet Letter, Nathaniel Hawthorne, right? Sold... I can't remember off the top of my head if it was like 10,000 or 12,000, I'm sorry, 10,000 or 20,000 copies, right, when it came out. Uh, You compare that to um, um, the Uncle Tom's Cabin, right, which sold like, if I remember my numbers correctly, like 300,000 copies when it came out, right? But we don't read Uncle Tom's Cabin in high schools, we read the Scarlet Letter, mm-hmm. usually, right? So the Scarlet Letter was given a much higher position in the canon of US literature than, so it wasn't based on popularity. It was based on the idea of what literary worth is, right? I see, yeah. So to me, it's really important that we look at texts that we say, well, that doesn't have a lot of artistic value, right, maybe. But, wow, right, millions of people saw it. Millions of young girls, right, see this one movie. Millions of, millions of young men or, uh, you know, young kids see these movies mm-hmm. uh, or adolescents. So what are we telling them? That literature, right, that you want to think about the difference in terms of audience that these texts have compared to say what has been canonized as literature and I'm more interested in like well okay if these are the ones that most people are watching shouldn't we be looking at that and what's the idea that is being what are the ideas that are being promoted by that kind of of cultural artifact yeah exactly exactly yeah Yeah, it's it's very interesting yeah and well I have a lot to think about after this talk and, um, we're running a bit short of time sure. but uh, I do want to thank Dr. Garcia for coming thank on the you podcast very much yeah a lot of fun talking with you um, and thank you for doing the program this evening 
So that's all the time we have today for the BPL podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Laser, and have a good evening.